Listen to the Word of God speak as Pastor Lee shares another great question from the pages of Scripture. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for time together. And we pray that your spirit would move among us and teach us and guide us as we look at this great question that is a foundational question for all of mankind. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What we have before us is a hymn that was written by King David. It is a creation hymn called by many. It is a celebration of God's greatness in His and His grace, which is demonstrated through creation. Let me say that again. It is a celebration hymn. It's a song. It's a celebration hymn about God's greatness and God's grace that is demonstrated throughout creation. This chapter in the Bible, like many other passages in Scripture, help us to understand the transcendent nature of God as well as the imminent nature of God. The transcendent nature of God being that God stands alone. He doesn't need us to be. He already is. And in some ways, He is distinct and separate from all of creation. That is His transcendent nature. But at the same time, because He is God, He has an imminent nature, which means He's right here with us. And so this psalm actually declares both of those truths. The psalmist David asks one, if not the most, fundamental question for understanding life. What is man? That's the first part of the question. What is man? What is man that you are mindful of Him. And the Son of Man that you, some translations say, visit Him. You see, the answer to this question informs all of life, all of our existence. It is the foundation upon which the rest of our belief system is built. The answer to this question is the beginning of the formulation of a biblical worldview. And the answer to this question also informs the Christian's thinking on events like the travesty that we've seen in Charlottesville, Virginia this past week. But it also informs our thinking when it comes to sexual orientation and gender identity laws which are things being discussed not only in Red Lodge, but all over America. What is man? The the word there in the original language is not male or female, it is human beings. The question is, what what is the human race? What, What are human beings? And so we can break that down and we can even ask, what are we? What what are we? Who are we? What are we supposed to think about ourselves and others? How do we formulate 
that thinking. Let me say before I go any further that what I say means absolutely nothing. I have nothing to give you in and of myself. Opinions aren't worth very much. How you feel is not worth very much if it's not based on the Word of God. You see, we, our feelings are subjective. Our opinions are often based on faulty reasoning and logic and sometimes incorrect science. Can I tell you the only authority in this place today is God? And the only authority in this place is God's Word. And so when we have a question about man, we don't give each other our opinion. We ask God. What has God said about man? What is man that you are mindful of him? Well, thankfully, in 1859, we had a brilliant scientist who came up with a manual to help us understand man. It was called The Origin of Species. And his name was Charles Darwin. And he developed the theory of evolution. And he gave us, really, a chart of ape-to-man progression. Monkey-to-man. Lower life form to higher life form. And when someone buys into the idea of evolution, they're buying into what he has said. And let me just tell you how he defined man. He said that we are the most efficient animal to ever emerge on the earth. That was his definition. That we are the most efficient animal to ever emerge on the earth. Which, by the way, is quite insulting. Just so you know. He also wrote this. Or I should say, this was how some of his work was summarized. He divided humanity into distinct races according to differences in skin, eye, or hair color. He was also convinced that evolution was progressive and that the white races, especially the Europeans, were evolutionarily more advanced than the black races, thus establishing race differences and a racial hierarchy. Can I tell you that race, I've said it before, is an evolutionary term. Race is an evolutionary concept. In fact, do any of you know what the subtitle was to the origin of species? Raise your hand if you know what that is. If you go back and look on the cover of the book, nobody knows. I didn't think so. You know why? Because we take things at face value and don't go check it out. Let me tell you, on the front of the manuscript it says this, on the origin of species by means of natural selection. Man, that sounds smart. Or, this is what's written, the preservation of favored races in the struggle of life. 
That's what it says. <laughs> that's interesting, isn't it? Because that's not a title you hear when evolution is being discussed. 1871, he wrote another book entitled The Descent of Man. In it, he ranked races in terms of what he believed was their nearness and likeness to gorillas. Then he went on to propose the extermination of races that he scientifically defined as inferior. So, what is man? Well, to Charles Darwin, he's something different than what God says he is. And that's really a simple way to say it. Let me share with you what some of you may have read that I posted on Facebook this week that fits right into the middle of this sermon. A false narrative about race continues to be perpetuated in America by Darwinian evolution. And the lie about the origin of species permeates the fabric of our society. It does so through the educational system. Not just uh, middle school and high school or even elementary school, but through our state colleges and universities. This idea has radically changed America's thinking about mankind. Racism is not Christian, and we stand against it. The idea that people are divided by race is not biblical. It's an evolutionary concept. The Bible teaches there is only one race. That is the human race. That's all, that's all the Bible teaches. It began with two people whom we've come to know as Adam and Eve. And as you look in places like Genesis chapter 3, you don't have to turn, let me read that to you quickly. But as you look, places like Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20, you hear words like this. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And then you turn over to chapter 9. And verse 19, after the flood, the population had been destroyed, all but Noah and his family. It says, Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Huh. So, in the Bible, God says that He's the Creator and that He created man and then man procreated. Darwin says, we evolved. Now you say, why do you make such a big deal out of it? Because it has made a big deal in America. It has influenced all of a society. In fact, it's influenced many Christian thinkers. But here's what it boils down to. It's a question that 
that we as a church family always want to ask. What does the Bible say? Not how do I feel about it. I hate it. Right? I hate racism. But that doesn't make it wrong because I hate it. My opinion is that it's wrong, but my opinion is based on something objective. Objective moral truth that we find in the Word of God. And so what the question is, you know, I mean, these issues actually, they provoke what? A lot of emotion. A lot of energy. A lot of, uh, of activity. And yet it, it is very important that all of us come back to the point of saying, okay, what does God think? What has God said about the issue? Racism is divisive, it is hateful, it is a scheme of the devil, and I'm going to tell you that he has used theories like evolution as vehicles to coerce people to believe things about others that are not true in reference to race. Belief in evolutionary lies result in what you saw on television in Charlottesville, Virginia. Belief in evolutionary lies about the origin of man lead to division and hate and discrimination, rioting and even murder, all of which we oppose, not because we feel bad about it, but because God said that it's wrong. Thankfully, questions about the origin of man were asked Thousands of years before Darwin. <laughs> Been more simple if he had just opened up the Bible and looked. So we have questions about the origin of man being asked by people like King David in Psalm 8. In Psalm 8, in chapter 4, it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? In this psalm, we have a great contrast being presented to us. A contrast between the enormity of all creation and the smallness of human beings. It's, a, it's something you can see physically, right? I mean, you look around and you see the greatness, the, the enormity of all of God's creation, and then we are like a speck of dust. And so he is putting that to us here in Psalm chapter 8. And so I want us to break it down into two things. First of all, I want us to look at the greatness of God in creation. And then I want us to look at the grace of God in creation. The first one, the greatness of God in creation. In verse 1 he says, O Lord, our Lord, O Jehovah! But he doesn't stop there. He makes it personal. Our Jehovah. O Jehovah, our Jehovah. How excellent is your name in all of the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. Words cannot do the expression justice. 
It's hard for us to put into words the greatness of God. And so what we have here is an outburst of, of words that were familiar to David to try and describe the greatness and the magnificence of God. This expression from the pen of David comes from a heart that is exalted by the beauty of the magnificence of creation. And he says, your glory is above the heavens. That's the transcendent part. That's the transcendent. It is distinguishing God from creation. He is the one who is above all of creation. Independent of this material universe. Some translations, when it's uh, echoing this, these words of praise, use the word excellent. How excellent is your name? How, how magnificent? Some translations say majestic, marvelous, noble. Hard to describe how great God is, isn't it? And so that's why this is not all that theological, but this is why I think the first words are, Oh God! That's why I think the first words are, Oh God! Because when you look at the magnificence of His creation, that's about all you can say. And then He says, Our God. My God. Creator of all the universe. Verse 2, He says, Out of the mouth of babes, He instantly moves from God who is independent of all creation to the weakest and the most feeble of all humanity, a baby. That proclaims also His marvelous acts and deeds. And it says that out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Have you ever noticed how powerful are the words of children? How honest they are when you don't want them to be. Right? How they speak into things when you're not expecting it. You can take examples of babes like Moses who was interjected into the land of Egypt who ended up saving his people. Here the Bible's talking about the babe. Out of the mouth of the babes, you've ordained strength to overcome enemies. Jesus Himself, born as a babe in a manger. I remember hearing a... Uh, story about a child that was in Sunday school class. And in Sunday school, uh, the teacher, for some reason, was doing his best to disprove the events that took place at the Red Sea. Whenever uh, Moses was leading the people, the story goes that he held up his rod and the Red Sea parted and that the Israelites walked through on dry land. And so the teacher was trying to use his knowledge and his wisdom of geography to say there's no way that 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 body of water was that big. He tried to paint a picture of the Red Sea being a very narrow stream. And so one of the kids raised his hand and said, wow, it's amazing how God drowned all those people with so little water. Out of the mouth, the babes. He, so he goes from the glory of God to the weakest of children to demonstrate the power and the magnificence of His creation. 
And he says, in the beginning of verse 3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. One theologian wrote about this and said, Much in the scenery of the nocturnal sky is there to lift the soul to pious contemplation. How many of you ever laid on the ground or the back of a truck bed or just sat in a chair and looked up at the starry sky in awe and wonder. It says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. This is why he started off. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jehovah. Oh, Jehovah. My Jehovah. How excellent is your name. How wonderful is your name in all of the earth. Psalm 19.1, he echoes the same sentiment. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And listen to this. And the firmament shows His handiwork. His handiwork. This psalm and this part of Psalm 8 really is... Uh, hearkening back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've not been long finished up a series in Genesis, and so maybe you remember that it says, in the Bereshith, in the beginning. That means there was nothing before. In the Bereshith, Elohim barad, which means He made something out of nothing. And so we hear David praising God through this creation psalm. And his heart is exalted because of the creation of God around him. And then in the midst of this creation, we also see the grace of God. Not just the greatness of God, but the grace of God. And so in verse 4, David says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. So, David declares the greatness of God in creation and he is exalting the name of God, the character, the person of God in the midst of this creation, hearkening back to Genesis 1-1 as the Creator. And we hear his heart being exalted and he cannot help but compare himself to it. <laughs> it's like, look at all of this around me. Look at all that God has done. Look at the magnificence of God. And, and what am I? What is man compared to all of this? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I look at creation, I feel pretty insignificant. It's pretty big. There's a vast expanse around us. That which we can see is vast. There is that which we cannot even see beyond the stars and the moons. A few weeks ago, 
Um, we had the opportunity to go to Glacier National Park for the first time. It was a kind of a hurry trip, but we got to stay a few days. And uh, we were told that we needed to hike the Avalanche Trail. And uh, so we did, and uh, the Avalanche Trail went to a, a really pretty part of uh, the creek with some nice waterfalls, but it was just right around the corner. We realized that there was more to it. So we, we came back and we hiked the trail, three-mile trail in. And it was a beautiful trail. If you like to hike, it's a beautiful trail, lots of neat things to see along the way. The forest is much different in Glacier than it is around here. It's kind of a, got a different look. But as we got to the end, uh, you could see where the trailhead was open and there was kind of trees that were surrounding it. And we stepped out and we looked up and we were at a lake and the sides of the mountain just surrounded us. And listen, I'm going to tell you, we, we were about that big in there. And that's how we felt. This is part of the sentiment that David is sharing when he talks about God's creation and then says, what is man? But then he gives the answer. This is the exciting part. This is the personal part. This is the part that helps us to understand the value of people, the significance of people. What is man? You are mindful of him. One, one guy said a survey of the solar system has a tendency to moderate the pride of man and to promote humility. In comparison to the rest of God's marvelous creation, what are we? Do we matter? And the answer is yes. He says the second part of that question, and, and the Son of Man, that you visit Him, that you here is the eminence, the eminent nature of God, that you are walking with Adam in the cool of the day, that you are with your people who call on your name. So, he asked the question, and what is man that you are mindful of him? And the answer comes, he is the most efficient animal to ever emerge on the face of the earth. not the answer that he gives. What we read next is a commentary on Genesis 1, 26-28 where God creates. And when he gets to the point of creating man, the word is no longer bara, the word is yatsar. And that is a word that indicates his intimate personal involvement in the creation of mankind. I like that! don't know about you. But that helps me to understand the value that is inherent in human beings, in all of mankind. Young, old, weak, strong, red, yellow, black, or white. God has created us in His image. Well, the answer is, and He gives some of the answer here, Instead of us being the most efficient animal to emerge on the scene, God says we're just a little bit lower than angels. Rather than one step above the animals, we're one step below the angels. That's quite a distance between those two. And really... 
what that's speaking of is the fact that we're spirit beings too. But we have some flesh wrapped around us. One day we'll be right there with the angels. And so when it says a little bit low, that's what it's talking about. We're down here with flesh wrapped on right now. A little bit below the angels. The Bible teaches here that we are the object of His mercy and grace. Who, who are we? Who is the Son of Man that He would visit us, that He would come to us, that He would be with us, that He would care about us every single day? That He would think of us and remember. Some translations say that He would remember us. One person put it like this, we've been created by God. He created us. He companioned us as He walked with us. He crowned us. In fact, here we read that, that we are the crown of God's creation. He commissioned us to oversee all of His creation. Read that again. There in verse chapter 8. You have made Him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned Him. Crowned Him with glory and honor. And then he goes into this next part where he says, you've made him to have dominion. So you are king on the earth over creation. You're the steward. You're the master. You're the one I put in charge over all of creation. You have put all things under his feet. And then he lists the animals, sheep and oxen, uh, beasts of the field, birds of the air, fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. Can, can I tell you, that's taking... That's taking man and putting him up here and saying, this is how I made mankind. This is who I made him to be. And this is how he is to operate on the earth. And that brings lasting, permanent value to every single person ever conceived on the face of the planet. That's what God does. It's what God says about humanity. By the way, this psalm concludes with another outburst, but it's the same outburst as we have at the beginning. And so he, he, say, he starts off, Oh, Jehovah, our Jehovah, how excellent, how marvelous is your name in all of the earth. And then he goes on and describes God's creation. The greatness of God in creation shows us the grace of God towards man in creation. And when he gets to the end, he does the same thing. Oh, Jehovah, oh, Jehovah, uh, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. By the way, when we look at God's tender care and mercy in making man. It, it shows us um, really uh, the progression of His mercy towards us when He sends Jesus to die on the cross for us. Who is the Son of Man that you are near Him, that you remember Him? Well, people are the object of God's love. That's why He sent His Son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for their sins, for our sins. 
so that we might be saved and have a personal relationship with Almighty God. And so this helps us, I think, with the question of racism. But it also speaks, these truths speak to some of the issues of our day when it comes to sexual orientation and gender identification laws. You will hear them proposed as non-discriminatory laws, which I do not care for that term. And the reason is because anybody that opposes it seems to be discriminatory. And that's just not the case. Because from, the, from what God says... Because He's made everyone in His image, His likeness, we are to love everyone. We are to care about everyone. We are to show compassion towards everyone. We are to pray for everyone and seek the salvation of everyone. That, my friends, does not mean we have to agree with something that is contrary to the Word of God. Because when you go back and you read the book of Genesis, you read where He made Adam and Eve, male and female, He created them in His image, and there's a period at the end of the sentence. That's how He made man. Racism is a perversion of God's creation. So is identifying sexually as something other than what you were born. And so we have to call a spade a spade. The fact of the matter is, people who are born in different colors can't help it. We are born male and female. And that was on purpose, for a purpose, so that the earth could be populated and God's grace and gospel could be spread throughout all the world. And so I think we want to be very careful about how we as a Christian community demonstrate truth and do so in love and care and compassion. The Bible is very clear. When it comes to race, the Bible is very clear when it comes to gender. That's a whole other sermon that I'm not going to take up completely this morning. But we either believe what God said or we don't. And we don't get to pick what we like out of the Bible and discard what we don't. It's difficult. Some of what God's Word says is difficult. It challenges me. It challenges you. It challenges all of us. The right attitude towards those who have chosen any sinful lifestyle is that of love and care and concern and prayer and even tolerance because we're not trying to tell anybody what to do but nor do we want anybody telling us what to do. Let me conclude with this. And I, and I only mention that at the end of this sermon because it is a big issue in Red Lodge right now. 
And, uh, and there's times when the church needs to speak on issues, when a statement needs to be made, and uh, it needs to be clear, it needs to be concise, there doesn't need to be any question about what Pastor Lee believes or says or what Church of the Rocky believes or says. And, and the fact of the matter is I didn't ask to have to address this issue. It came to my front door, so um, it's something that we have to address when that happens. There is a rally today in town. Uh, it's called No Hate in Our State. Uh, there's a lot of people getting together. I think it's at Lions Park. Uh, and uh, the premise is, is very good because we don't hate, right? Um, the truth of the matter is rallies are helpful to a certain extent. They're really more for us to make us feel better about ourselves. The question is, what does God want from our lives? And the answer is to submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's it. And so uh, I told some people that I would make you aware of it. I'm not telling you to go. I'm just letting you know uh, that there is one happening. Um, and uh, I've been struggling all week to try to decide whether or not I was going to go. Uh, and even I've been tracked down by some people uh, that, that want me to be there. And uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, I have some ideas, but I'm not sure why. I do love our community, by the way. When I say that, I'm not talking about our cute little town. I'm not talking about our sense of community. I'm talking about people. Hurting those who aren't, those who identify differently, those who are black or white. I love our community. As Christ loved our community and died for our community. And that's what we want people to know. Now, there was a contemporary Christian song written based, I think, primarily on this text, maybe out of Psalm 8, and we'll close with one line from that, Casting Crowns wrote a song, and it says, Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name? Would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Who am I? Who are you? You? are a special person that was created in the image of God for a relationship with Him. And you can have that through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You don't leave us in the dark. That when it comes to controversial issues of our day, when it comes to issues that are causing heartache and pain and struggle, that we have a word from You that um, you help us to know how to think, but you also help us to know how to behave, how to live godly towards all people. Prayerful, prayerful towards all people, Lord. Loving towards all people. 
Father, while we come to you seeking your strength and wisdom, we declare to be a group of people that stand on your word and to do so in love. We pray for our community. We pray, God, that uh, you would move mightily in hearts and minds and that where there is confusion, you would take that away. Where there is misunderstanding, you would take that away. Lord, where there is anger and hate, that you would take that away too. I pray that you would cultivate in us a heart and a biblical mindset that looks to you first for the answers to the questions that are being asked today. Lord, I pray that you would have your way hearts and minds here in this place this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Word of God Speaking, the sermon podcast of Pastor Lee Murray.